I got into that song and uh, forgot to get everything ready, so give me just a second. So while I'm doing that, I'm going to add an announcement, and this is really just a, a personal announcement anyway. And uh, so uh, my wife and I, we live together. I didn't know if you knew that or not. Have for a while now. I just want to come clean. Um, so we live at Seven Big Sky Drive. Seven Big Sky Drive, not Seven Big Sky Trail, which will take you to some guy's house. I don't know, but I should go meet him. But Seven Big Sky Drive. Our front yard's a pretty good place to view the fireworks display. And so if you, uh, around 8 o'clock tonight, want to come out, maybe bring a pack of marshmallows. I'll have some wood burning. We can roast those, and we'll watch the fireworks. So for that, with Seven Big Sky Drive, this is just, there she is. Hi, Miss Sally. How are you doing? Now, I'm going to finish. That's right. I thought she was about to push me down and take over, so I thought it was going to happen. So, uh, <clears throat> anyway, so if you're, uh, if you're looking for a place to do that, you're welcome to join us this evening, about, you know, around 8 o'clock. I will give you this one warning. I am not a night person. I am going to try and stay up till the end of the show, but if I vanish, you'll know I went to bed. And so, just someone lock the door and you leave. That's all you got to do. Okay, so, a um, little caveat, a little warning about today's message. What I'm about to teach you today, you can use to manipulate people. I'm not kidding. Don't do that. That's not what this is about. What you need to learn, in fact, what you need to do, if you haven't, uh, if you find this information helpful, you need to, there are seven messages in this series, you need to go listen to the prior messages, especially the one about turning your love on in last week's about exchanging the truth inside of you. They're available on your podcast apps or our website or whatever. So, but what I'm going to teach you today, I'm trusting that you're not going to use to manipulate people with. I'm going to give you some tools to, make, to help you walk into your strength and your power as, as a man or woman or child of God. Okay? So uh, I just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, what I'm going to give you today will also empower you to take care of you in a way that's holy and godly. And uh, so that's what I want us all to leave this place with an understanding of how valuable you are as God's creation. Not as a way to feel arrogant or proud, but as a way to realize that God really likes you and God puts you on this planet for a reason. Okay? You with me? That guy's with me. Anyone else on this side? It would take him. All right, let's go. Okay, so there's a passage in Luke 6, 12 I want to begin with because uh, I, I like to help us understand how Jesus looks at things. And so in Luke chapter 6, verse 12, we read this passage. One day, soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. And at daybreak, he, get, he called together all his disciples, and he chose 12 of them to be his apostles. What I'm doing is laying a basis for the, the, how biblical what we're about to discuss is. And what I want you to see is that Jesus was in a world. And in that world, there was a, a larger world out there that had no idea he was even on the planet. And then there was the nation of Israel that knew Jesus existed, but very few of them actually met or saw Jesus in person. So you come from the world that didn't know he existed to the nation that knew he existed to some degree. Then you had people who followed him, the crowds. And they got to see Jesus. Some of them got to meet him, but not all of them got to meet him. And then you move from the crowds to his disciples. And those were the ones that we're reading about here, where he talked to them, he picked them, he chose them, 
and he gave them responsibilities. So they were, they were closer. So think of it this way. You have this, this world out here that doesn't know he exists. You have the nation that's a little bit closer that knows he exists but may not have much access to him. Inside of that, you have the crowds who are following him around. But they are limited on their access to him as well. Then you have the disciples, the 12. They're much closer. They have responsibilities in this relationship. Then inside of that, you have the three, Peter, James, and John. Who they did a lot of things in that inner circle with Jesus. The, tra- the Mount of Transfiguration was something that they participated in. They had larger responsibilities. They had larger weight upon them. They were the ones that were closest to Jesus in that night in the garden when he's praying before he is crucified. And then you have John, the disciple whom Jesus loved in his own words. And John was the one who was so close to Jesus, had so much access to Jesus, that when Jesus died on the cross, he gave John the responsibility to care for his mother. Here's what I want you to see. Not everyone, when Jesus walked on earth, not everyone had equal access to Jesus. Not everyone had equal access to Jesus. And that what determined that had to do with their choices and his choices. But I just want you to know, Jesus did not live his life out of control. He did not live his life in a way that everyone else handled his schedule, okay? So that being said, let's look at ourselves. Let's say that you live in a house. Some of you probably do that. That's pretty cool. You know, one day, I mean, you live in your house on your street, wherever it is, and and all the time there's these cars driving by, just cars, all the time, cars with people in them, they're just down the street, and you don't care, you're in your house, got your Netflix on, you're a happy little camper. Well, then one day, the, this, this car pulls, it's down the road, it's driven by every day. You see it at the same time, going to work, coming to work. But one day, at, after work day is over, that car comes down your road, pulls into your driveway, and comes and knocks on your door. And you open the door, and the guy says, hey, I'm Bob, can I come in? And you're so flabbergasted, you just step out of the way, because you have no idea what's happening. And Bob just walks in your front door, goes straight to your kitchen, opens up your refrigerator, grabs one of your favorite drinks, sits down in your chair, pops it open, drinks it, and then goes and takes a nap in your bed. Who's Bob in the room? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) That's offensive. You wouldn't let that happen. And yet people do that with your heart space and your head space almost on a daily basis. They walk up in your house and they take advantage of your space all the time. And it's not okay. But it's your job to maintain access to you. And here's how it works. That deepest, most intimate place for you is you and Jesus. That's what it's supposed to be. If Jesus isn't in that space, before you leave today, we need to get Jesus in that space, okay? But that deepest place, that's just you and Jesus. That's your heart. That's where you're at. And just outside of that, you're going to have someone you care about very, very much. It may be a spouse. It may be your best friend. It may be a sibling. But there's going to be someone that is in your closest place. Then outside of that, there's going to be another level of access where your children and your family inhabit. They're close to you, but they're not in your heart with Jesus. They're not in the closest space where your spouse or your uh, most intimate friend is, but they're just a little bit outside of that. Then you have on the next layer out, we have friends, people that we trust, we're building relationships with. Outside of those friends that we have close relationships, we have all these people we have acquaintances with, we know who they are. And then outside of that, we have Al-Qaeda, Great White Sharks, and grizzly bears. Okay? 
<clears throat> these people don't have uh, their, and, and here's the thing. These circles of access are fluid. That means people move from place to place according to their relationship with you, your closeness, how safe they are, all kinds of things. Control all of this. And here's your job. Your job as a child of God is to love and to keep your love on. And even way out there with great red sharks, grizzly bears, and Al-Qaeda, there is a way that I can love them and yet maintain access. I love grizzly bears. I have never tried to pet one. I'll save that for the New Yorkers that go to Yellowstone. (laughs) I do like to watch the videos. I always knew people are stupid, and now thanks to Facebook, we know without a doubt, right? (laughs) How does this work? Well, let's say I bump into you at Walmart, and uh, you don't go to Ordinary Faith. We don't really know each other that well, but we've bumped into each other. And you say to me, man, my car blew up. My engine blew up my car. I would say, oh, man, I am sorry to hear that. I can pray for you, and here's a mechanic friend of mine. Now let's move it in a level. Say you go to Church of Ordinary Faith. We're in a community together. Or maybe we're in a, maybe not to the small group level, but at least we go to church together. And you may say to me, hey, the engine blew up on my car. And I would say to you, well, I tell you what, let's pray about that. And uh, there's a guy in our church that will probably give you a good deal, and maybe I can help you get it over there. You see, I've, I've moved from, it's your problem, to like, I'm going to take a little bit more of your problem on. Well, then we move into, <clears throat> like, a friend of mine, someone who's close. Maybe, uh, don't tell Steve this, but if Steve were to come to me, I, don't tell him he's a friend of mine. Don't tell him he's the closest one I got right now. Ooh, I don't want to do it. Steve goes, man, the, the, the motor blew up on my car. I, said, I would say, Steve, I'll, I'll be over there, and we'll figure it out, and I got, I'll call a friend, and we'll see if we can get this thing. I'll call Rick, because he knows how to work on stuff, and we'll go from there. Then we come in another layer, and one of my sons comes to me. We're at Creed. I just saw Creed. He's in the back being very Creedy. And so uh, Creed says, hey, the engine blew up on my car. I said, oh, man. Well, let me come over and help you. Let me get you where you need to go, and we'll figure out how to get your car fixed. My wife comes back to me. She's back in children's search, and she comes to me, and she says to me, the, the engine blew up on the car. And I'm going to say, what color do you want your new car to be? <laughs> you see? See the point? Different levels of access because we have different levels of relationship. We have different levels of responsibility. Is that biblical? That's the thing, because a lot of Christians think that the minute you get saved, you should drop all your boundaries and let everybody walk through your kitchen and rumble through your fridge and take a nap on your bed, and that is not okay. That is not what this is about. In fact, what it is about is the reality that, that God loves you and God cares about you, and that you are very precious and valuable to God. So... To look at it this way, another way to to kind of process this, is it fair to say that your time and your attention are the key parts of how you communicate love to somebody? Would that be fair to say? Yes? No? Time and attention. If I give you my time, I'm communicating love to you because that's that's the most precious resource anybody in the room has is your time. So if I give that to you... What if, and this, this, I, I've lived this, as a, especially when I was a young pastor and didn't understand a lot of these principles, I, began, I, I just thought I needed to be an open door for everybody, because that's what pastors do. And here's what happened. People took up all my time, and all my energy, and all my resources. 
I remember when this became glaringly clear to me, it was one Sunday night, uh, at the time we were doing Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and every other time we could think of to get together, uh, but that was a long time ago. And uh, one Sunday night in church, I had been working the door. Uh, you guys know my process, right? Shake them in, shake them up, shake them down, and shake them out. That's how I do it. It's my process. So I, I just got done. The last person walked out of the door. It's like 8.30, 9 o'clock on a Sunday night. I've been going all day long since 4 in the morning. And, then, and I get to the end of the day, and I'd said yes to everybody. All day long, I had said yes. And I walked out of the church door, got in the car with my kids, and one of my children who was under six years old started doing something that children do that's totally normal but it annoys you when you have no energy and you're tired and I went from smiling pastor guy to angry parent just like that and my wife looked at me and said you have been nice to everyone all day long and this is your child and that was all she needed to say well I mean there was a discussion but that, that was all she needed to say <laughs> My point is, is that you only have so much time, energy, resources in your life, and you're the one who has to do that. You take care of that. And what you need to understand is that the people that are closest to you in your life, God picked. God decided who your children will be. God brought you your spouse. The Bible says if a man finds a wife, he's received a gift from God. So guys, if you have a wife, God gave her to to you. And some of you are suddenly going, well, he was mad at me. Well... Love you, man. Your children, your parents, these relationships, God picked them, so they're your, your they're higher priority. Does that make sense? Okay. So, who has access to you? And let's begin with asking the question, what are you worth? Downtown Rock Springs, they've begun re the security bank down there. I was in it not too long before. I think Steve and I broke in, I mean, walked in one day. <sighs> And uh, looked at the, the place, you know. And, you know, you wouldn't walk into Security Bank, which is an old, run-down, dilapidated bank downtown. You wouldn't walk into it rummaging around going, gee, I wonder if somebody left a million bucks around here somewhere. You know no one left of any, anything of value in that building because it's not secure. The windows are broken. The doors just kick down the plywood to get in. And so you know that there's no value there because no one is protecting it. And when no one protects something, the only people who want access to something like that are people who are going to damage it or take things from it. So you have to understand that you are valuable. You are valuable because God says you're valuable. You're valuable because God created you in your mother's womb and brought you into this world for reason and purpose. And so anything of value is worth protecting. In fact, that's how we know if it's valuable or not, is whether or not you protect it. Does that make sense? So we begin with the question, what are you worth? So the Bible says this in 1 John 3, 1. See how very much our Father loves us. Do you know who our Father is? That's your father. That's God. See how much he loves us. For he calls us his children, and that is what we are. Are your children valuable to you? 
Do you protect your children? Do you love your children? Do you, do you do everything you can to get them a good start in your life? Yes, you do, because they're valuable to you. So do you think God's children are less valuable to God than your children are valuable to you? Of course not. You don't think that. You know that God's children are valuable. And you are God's child. So when you ask the question, am I valuable? Am I worth protecting? Then the, the answer to that question is yes, because I am God's child. And God values me. God puts worth in me. And so I'm worth protecting. And this is important because, guys, a lot of the, the abusive relationships that are going on in our life are our own fault. Because there is, the doors are busted and the windows are shattered and the only people who want in are people who are coming in to damage and to face. So if you're going through these, if you, if you find yourself in a place where you keep stumbling into one abusive relationship after another, it's time to, to stop beating yourself up and fix the door and repair the glass and secure what is valuable. And that's what we're talking about today. Say, Michael, I hear you, but I'm not sure I'm, I'm getting, I mean, is this really okay? Is Jesus okay with that? So let me tell you a story. It's in the Bible, so that's a good, it's a good story, right? We're talking about a guy named Bart, Bartimaeus, and he was so blind that that was his first name, Blind Bartimaeus. That's not true. I just threw that in there. We just call him that. So Bartimaeus was in Jericho, he's blind, been blind his, his whole life for the majority of it, and Jesus is coming to town. And so when he hears that Jesus is coming, he's off the side of the road somewhere, he's in some spot, I, I don't know where, all I know is he starts shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, will you help me out? Jesus, I'm in trouble. Jesus, I want to see. Well, he didn't say that part, he says, Jesus, will you have mercy on me? And so here's the, the neat thing of the story. So Bartimaeus is over there, and he's hollering for Jesus, and Jesus finally hears him, says something. So someone brings Bartimaeus over to Jesus. So Jesus and Bartimaeus are facing each other. Bartimaeus is obviously blind. And all, all Bartimaeus has been saying this whole time is, Jesus, have mercy on me. And look at what happens in Mark 10, 51. And you may not think this is weird, but it is. I'll show you why in just a second. So here we are, Bartimaeus has been shouting, Jesus turns to him and gives him his attention. Bartimaeus is brought over to Jesus, and here's Jesus' answer. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Do you think Bartimaeus may have nudged his friend who brought him up there and said, Hey, uh, is Jesus blind too? Can, can he not see that I can't see? And Bartimaeus' response is, my rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. Here's what you need to learn from this text. Jesus respects and honors people. Jesus would never bust through your front door and open your fridge and grab your favorite soda. Jesus will not walk in your house unless you ask Jesus to walk in your house. He respects and honors people. Jesus gets boundaries. Jesus understands that there's a point where he stops and you start. This is really important. 
And it also helps you understand that not only is it okay for me to value myself and protect my heart and my life in healthy ways, which we'll talk about in a minute, but it's also something that Jesus expects me to do. He expects me to be me. This is important because everyone in the world is trying to tell you who and what to be. Every, every meme on your Facebook or social media feed, every commercial you see, every politician that gets behind a podium, they're trying to dictate who you should be. Every book you read is trying to tell you who you should be. And I'm here to tell you, God's already stated who you should be. God's already defined a purpose for you to accomplish in this world. And so it's up to you to be you. This is important. And so what are you worth? Because you are worth Jesus dying on the cross. You want to know what your value is? God has already determined it. You're worth the life of his only begotten son. That's what you're worth. And anything worth that much is worth protecting. So what are you worth? The second question we have before we get into the practical application is, what is your yes worth? Let's hop back into a scripture in Matthew 5.22. The leader of a local synagogue whose name was Jairus arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying. He said, please come and lay your hands on her and heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him. And all the people followed him, crowding around him. So let's climb into the story for a second. Jesus is in the middle of a big crowd. Jesus is a man with solutions. When people look at Jesus, they realize that Jesus has solutions for problems. And, I, you know, here's Jesus. He has a healing rate of 100%. Right? Everybody he touches... I don't, I, like he accidentally healed people. As in this story, this lady comes up and just wants to touch the hem of his garment and gets healed. I mean, it's right here in the story. He's got a 100% supernatural healing rate. And he's in the middle of a big crowd. And in the middle of that cr- big crowd, this is important. This is a principle you need right here. So, so try and hang with me. In the middle of this big crowd, surrounded by literally hundreds of, of needy people who need miracles. Jairus comes up and says, will you come and heal my daughter? And Jesus said, yes. How do we know he said yes? Because he started following Jesus and um, Jairus and he walked out of a crowd of needy people. What does this tell you? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what it says. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 37, just say a simple, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond that, this is from the evil one. Let me tell you a lesson I learned after years of running restaurants. If someone looks at you and tells you they're going to do something, and then they have to back it up with a promise to do it, do not rely on that person. Because they're telling you that they don't know how to say yes and mean it, and they don't know how to say no. And mean it. Jesus said yes to Jairus. And Jesus, yes, meant everything. Michael, how do you see it in the text? I'll tell you how I see it. If Michael Maynard were in that crowd of people with a 100% miraculous healing rate, I would have never made it out of that crowd. 
I would have never got to Jairus' house. I would have never got to that little girl. I'd have been there healing people. I wouldn't have asked. I wouldn't have stopped before anybody and said, what do you need me to do? I'd have just been busting through the emergency rooms. You're healed, you're healed, you're healed, you're healed. Woo! And I'd have felt so good about myself. I'd have never made it, though, to Jairus' house because my yes wouldn't have been strong enough. And I sure would have never made it to the cross. I would have never found the time and the convenience to go and die for anybody. See what I mean? When Jesus said yes, he meant yes. And this is so important because if we can begin to realize that our yes means everything. When I say yes to my wife, I'm probably saying no. Maybe to my boss. You know how he loves no. I may be saying no to some friends. I may be saying no to a a social media feed. When I say yes to her, I'm saying no to other things so I can say yes to her. Michael, is that okay? Jesus walked out of a crowd of hundreds and peoples, of hundreds of people with needs to go fulfill his yes. And the lady who had the, the issue of blood for 14 years almost had to tackle Jesus to get her healing, which shows you it's okay to tackle Jesus. You see what I'm saying? It's very important what you say yes to. This matters, guys, because I'm telling you, most people don't know how to say yes. What most people mean is, I'm going to say yes unless almost anything else comes up. You see what I'm saying? And so your yes has to mean something. What is your yes worth? Is it worth you saying no to some things? If you say yes to your growth, what does that mean you're saying no to? If you say yes to your ministry, what does it mean you're saying no to? My point is just begin to make your yes matter. What are you worth? What's your yes worth? That's the foundation for where we're going from here. You still with me? A lot to think about. By the way, what I'm about to give you today is something you have to be willing to do poorly before you can do it well. It's like everything that matters. You have to be willing to do it poorly before you can do it well. So let's move on to this idea of how we're actually going to protect valuable things. This amazing passage in Philippians 4.8 says to us, Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts. We could just stop there and spend the rest of our time right there. This is a big part of it, right? Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So, we talk about a lot, we taught on it last year or year before, we've taught it several times, on the issue of boundaries. And people talk about boundaries, but they don't really know what boundaries are. So I'm going to help you with some simple definitions of what boundaries are. And what I mean by boundaries is, there has to be these fences in your life with gates, not walls. People are great at building walls and they end up isolated. That's not what I'm talking about. Fences have gates and you can let good things in and you can let bad things out. That's what's the difference between a boundary and a wall because so many of us have built walls and we're trapped with all of our bad things. And we have isolated ourselves and we can't let go of things that are destroying us, okay? So when we talk about a boundary, what are we saying? Well, first of all, we're saying that we want to keep, there, that there are certain things in life we want to keep in our lives. 
I like love. I like joy. I like peace. I like truth. I, I, I like relationship, friendships, and great food. I love, I'll even eat mediocre food if there's no great food available. <laughs> I want those things in my life. I want to let those things in my life. If you're in a place where you can't let good things in your life, you don't have boundaries, you have walls, and you've built yourself a prison. And that's not what we're talking about today. Okay? You can't wall off your heart from relationship. You're just going to kill yourself. You kill your heart first, and your body will die later. And so, we, we, boundaries are about letting the good things in, but they're also about keeping the bad things out. Like distra- distraction, anxiety, chaos, drama. And some of you are going, well, that's my house. <laughs> I know. There's ways that we can manage these things and control access. So I want, I want to keep, keep the good stuff in. I want to let the bad stuff out. And then I want to protect my priorities in my life. No one else is responsible for my life except me. I'm the one who has to, to answer, to stand before God one day, and I, I, I rely fully on his grace, and I look forward to the meeting because of his grace. But it would be easy to be terrified by the reality that my life, I am responsible for. I am not going to be able to stand up there and say, Lord, you gave me this gift of being able to teach people, but, but Steve flubbed it up for me. He forgot to put my slides in the system. It was all his fault. And God's going to say, well, we'll get Steve. You come on in, you little crybaby, you. God's not going to do that. I'm responsible for my time. Time is the stuff life is made of. Now, I'll be honest with you. My wife and I learned through some of our marriage studies and the things that we're helping people with in their marriages, we realized that there are objective and subjective timekeepers. And I am very, 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 very objective. Six o'clock is six o'clock for me. And some of you are subjective time. And, and six o'clock is either the sun's up or the sun's down. It, it doesn't matter, but it's one of those. You know that. And so uh, my point is uh, we have time that we are responsible how we use our time. Our energy. The story I told you earlier about using all of my energy for my church that I was pastoring and having nothing left for my family, I'm responsible for that because my priority relationship is not my church. It's my family. This is important. I'm responsible for my time, my energy, my resources, all those kinds of things. So how am I going to protect those things? How am I going to value those things? Because they are my life. And so this, this is, we understand what boundaries are now. We understand now that we want to let the good things in. We want to let and keep out the bad things, the abusive things, the assault type things where people accuse. So how do I do it? Rule number one. And I'm not a big rules guy, so this is really more a principle, okay? Learn to require respect. Nobody busts in my front door and grabs my favorite drink out of the fridge, okay? What do I mean by learning to require respect? Well, when I'm learning to require respect, what I'm doing is I'm acknowledging an eternal principle that I am God's creation, I guess there should be a corollary with this. I'm going to require respect, and I'm going to give respect. And what, that, what I mean by that is, I, I'm going to respect the fact that I am God's creation, and therefore worth protecting. And I'm going to respect the fact that you are also God's creation, and you are worth protection. And there is a point where I stop 
and you start. Why does this matter? Well, it matters because we have control issues. Lots and lots of control issues. I was talking to someone on the phone not too long ago, and they were listing out for me all the problems they were facing in life, and every one of their solutions for those problems required someone else to do something. They had no plan for themselves. Self-control was not a power that they recognized in their life. It was very sad. And what you need to realize is that you have the power from Jesus as a Christ follower, a power of self-control. And everything inside of self, I have power to deal with. Michael, I can't change. I don't care what your circumstances are saying. I'm telling you what the Word of God says, and He says He's given you the power of love and self-control. So who are you going to believe? Lying circumstances or a God who says He's given you something? You understand? This is important. So I'm going to begin in this place where I require respect. Now, I can, things can be respectful and still hurt. I should just throw that out there. Just because if you're in the idea that's, that we can't have an honest conversation and it not hurt, that's not what I mean at all. I'm, I'm going to kind of define what disrespect looks like in a minute. But mainly, we just realize we've got to learn to give respect and require respect in our lives. Okay, and so... Um, excuse me, I had a, a brain cramp. It's okay, I don't use it much, so it wasn't a big deal. Um, Colossians 3, 8, 9 says this, but now's the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you've stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. So you see this passage, this passage with all these things that aren't supposed to be in your life. They're supposed to be stripped out of your life. <laughs> I know I just read the verse, and, and I've, been, I've been in that, the chair you're in. And what I would do is go, ah, oh, that's really uncomfortable. Move on. Something funny. There's no place in you for anger and rage. And that's most of your relationship conflict right now is anger and rage and malicious behavior which is duplicitous behavior and slander slander is when you tell the truth with the intent to harm the favorite tool of aggressive personality slander dirty language <clears throat> maybe apply that to your facebook posts don't lie to each other for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds this begins with a realization that i'm responsible for me that i stop you it, you start somewhere, and then I move into this thought of I'm not going to tell you what you are going to do, but I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. This is how you handle conflicts in your relationship. You don't try and control other people. When you try and control other people, you're basically watering their grass, hoping yours gets green. Or letting a dog loose over it or something like that, depending on what, how you feel about them. <clears throat> So I protect valuable things by requiring respect, and I protect valuable things by telling people what I'm going to do. And one of those things is this. One of the principles that I'm learning and I want to challenge you with is this principle. Especially in conflict relationships, whether it's your spouse, your children, or someone you work with, it's this simple realization that I'm going to stay in this conversation. I want to be in a conversation with you. I want to connect with you. But 
I will stay in it as long as it's respectful. Respectful can be heated, it can be truth, it can be painful, but as long as it's respectful. What is not respectful? What is not respectful, if I were being disrespectful, I'll pick on Tucker now. I'm just picking on different random guys here. But if I were in a discussion with Tucker and and I were being disrespectful toward him, what I would be doing is I'd be saying, all right, Tucker, you got a problem. And here's your problem. That's disrespectful. And and a respectful approach to this shit, to this conflict that Tucker and I am are, are in. We're not really in one that I know of. Okay, good deal. Because I have been in ones that I don't know of. Anyway. Um, respectful conversation would be an I. This is what's going on inside me. This is what I'm going to do. This is what. I, this is what's happening with me. Listen to last week's message about exchanging the truth inside. This is the good information inside of me, Tucker. This is what's going on. Because Tucker and I are friends. There is a, a connection and love between us. And when there is a relationship and there's connection and there's love, I don't have to tell you what to do. All I have to do is share with you what's with me. And it's up to you to make whatever adjustments you feel you need to make, even if there are none to make. That's what relationships are. That's what love does. We love people, we make adjustments. But when I start walking into any situation, I begin to tell you what you're going to do, or I begin to make judgments on you. You don't care. You're stupid. I just wanted to say stupid in the sermon. (laughs) You're selfish. Those are judgments. Whenever you begin to pronounce someone how they are, you don't know how anyone is. You remember when Paul said, I don't judge anyone for the time? I don't know. They, God's the one who knows. He said, I don't even judge myself because I don't know everything about me. And so when I begin to make determinations, when I set up the judge's podium in my life and I begin to drop the gavel and say, you are a failure, you're doing it wrong, that's disrespectful. I am climbing into place I have no right to be. I'm stepping into place of God as judge is what I'm doing. And by the way, I don't know if God gets ticked off since Jesus died on the cross, but if I were God, I'd get ticked off. Everyone, someone tried to take away my gavel, you know? So if disrespectful conversations are ones that are filled with, with judgments, with you statements, and with my personal favorite, mind reading, you should have known. I know what you're thinking. Of course, when you're a parent and you have teenagers, you may know what they're thinking. <laughs> but it's still not right to say that. So, My point is, is, is when I walk into a situation and I'm saying, I am here. I want connection with you. I want a conversation with you. And I'm going to stay as long as it is respectful. And then when something happens that it begins to, to get disrespectful and people begin to make the judgments and they begin to tell you what you're going to do or you do that to them, it's someone's job at that point to do the brave thing and that is to protect the relationship. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 3.12, Since God shows you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. This is how God wants us to relate to each other. He wants our relationships filled with these things. And you may be in a relationship where the other person's abusive, and you're the only one who has the power of God within you to be tenderhearted, merciful, kind, humble, gentle, and patient. And so as you, do the, as, you, as you are trying to be that person, when situations get to a point of disrespect, here's a simple principle, a quote from Danny Silk. It says, words make appeals. 
So I can say to you, I'm in this conversation as long as it's respectful. Words make appeals. Actions create requirements. And what are you going to do? And that's this beautiful thing God gave us called feet. And your feet can take your ears and your big mouth somewhere else. Caveat. One little thing. If, if, if you're trying to apply this to your marriage, you still need to do this, but you also need to make sure that your partner knows that what you're doing is for connection. Not as a manipulative tool. You see, people do this all the time. They use tools like stonewalling and isolation and the silent treatment to get you to do what they want you to do. This is not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is we need to be in this conversation. We both need to respect God's creation. We both need to respect the reality that they are talking to someone that God put on this planet for a purpose and a reason, and that person needs to be valued and protected. Think about it. Think about your last really intense fight you may have had with someone you were close to. What happened? Here's probably what happened. The anxiety ramped up, likely over days, weeks, months, or years. It ramped up over something you probably have never actually talked about. You've talked around, but never actually talked about. But it ramped up, and then two people who probably really like each other and love each other went at it, and there was no respect, and there was a whole lot of you and you and you and you, and there was no I, I, I. And you got mad, and you, you shouted. You disrespected God's creation and you hurt each other until you couldn't hurt each other anymore and then you backed off to your corners and you began to calm down and the Holy Spirit began to work and you realized that I was dumb. I just hurt a person I love more than anyone else in the world. And then you get up, you come together, you apologize, and you find a way forward. What I'm suggesting is that you take the advice of Scripture, and rather than tearing into each other, you immediately, when a situation gets disrespectful, you stop and you admit, I am not, I will not harm God's beloved son or daughter. And I have a responsibility to protect God's beloved son or daughter, which is me. And so I'm not going to let the enemy destroy our connection. I'm going to take, let my feet take my mouth and my ears somewhere else until we can come back to this respectfully. I'm going to do that with as much love as possible. In my wife's case, I'm going to stop. If we, that situation were to come up, and I'm going to say, I love you more than anything in the world. We're starting to hurt each other, and so we're going to walk away right now and come back because I'm going to treat you with respect and honor. And I'm going to acknowledge that there's a place that I stop. Is a place that you began. Now, what I'm doing is I'm establishing these boundaries and these gates and these fences in my life, and I can let in good stuff and I can let out the bad stuff. I'm saying I take responsibility. It's my responsibility to get the good stuff in and the bad stuff out, and it's my responsibility to manage my priorities. And I'm going to manage the access that people have to me so that my priorities and my time and my energy can be invested in those relationships that are most important in my life. And I'm going to start with the ones that God put there. 
And those will be the toughest, by the way. And I'm going to respect and love. This is how that we protect valuable things. We have realizations that we are worth something and worth protecting. We have a realization that our yes matters. And so when we say yes, it means everything to say yes. And then we begin to realize that we have to operate toward others and receive from others respect. Now, as I've shared this with you, I realize it presents challenges. I realize what it presents. You've got to work on things before you even understand things. So as I conclude today, and we're about to go into a season of worship, you might need to pray about some things. You might need to realize, control somebody. You might need to realize that you haven't valued God's creation, which is you. And you might need to take a a season and talk to the Father about it. I'm going to be over at the table through these last two songs, and if I can pray with you, I will. But my point is, you and I have a responsibility to protect what's valuable. And these are some ways that we can do that. Father God, I thank you very much for a chance to talk about the way that you do things, the way that life works, the way you've ordained things. To find practical ways to actually operate in mercy and compassion toward each other. To find ways to realize that God made us as individuals that are supposed to live in relationship with each other. I pray that you would help us to learn how to protect what you've made so valuable within us. Help us also to use all the tools at our disposal to to live in relationship with people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Pastor Steve.